0: Welcome to Season 5 of Ye Old Dragon's Library, the storytelling podcast. Each episode this season will be a chapter from the second book in the Enchanted Castle Archives, The Beastly Beauty. In Season 1, our heroine, Ash, was warned multiple times to stay away from the Enchanted Castle, and if she ever saw it coming toward her, to run. Now, she finds the enchanted castle, or, perhaps more accurately, it finds her. Will prophecy come true? Can she escape when she finds out the truth of Cecil's warning that every castle wants a princess? Listen and find out. Chapter 9 Fang squealed what certainly sounded like injured innocence to Ash. He let go of her legs and gesticulated even more wildly with his ears. Oh, so you think that terrifying those bullies into confessing what they did will exonerate you? Hazel rolled her eyes and turned to go back into the kitchen. She gestured for Ash and Fang to follow her. What makes you think that revealing your vampire side will make the Warren welcome you back with open... paws? At least his name has been cleared. For murder, at least, Ash hurried to add. Hazel muttered something and picked up a large wooden spoon to stir the copper pot hanging over the fire. A tantalizing swirl of aromas arose from it, spicy and sweet and bitter. She gestured for Ash to come closer. Inhale deeply, slowly. Hold it as long as you can, then take another deep breath. She turned back to Fang. So... "'Ash tells me you don't want to be freed. "'You like turning the tables on anything bigger than you, "'scaring the fumets out of them. "'Didn't you consider the consequences "'if you let that foreign nature dig its roots deeper into you?' "'The third breath of the aromatic steam made Ash a little dizzy. "'She could have sworn the stone paving undulated under her feet, "'just enough to make her wobble. "'Eyes closed. "'She didn't see Fang's side of the conversation.' "'Hazel mostly responded with, "'Oh, really?' and "'I'll wager they didn't see that coming.' "'With each breath she took, "'Hazel's voice grew more muted and distant. "'The woman's hands on her arms, "'guiding her away from the fireplace, "'barely cut through the hazy, thick feeling "'muffling all her senses. "'There now, that's enough. "'I've done something, "'but time will tell if I did any good.' "'Hazel settled Ash on a bench next to the window, "'where chilly, leaf-scented air "'filtered through the ajar shutters. "'What did you do?' "'Ash shook her head and muffled a giggle "'when it felt like everything inside her "'sloshed around a little. "'Try to do.' "'Well, something's been loosened a little. "'Whether any knots have come undone, "'that will take time.' "'Hazel hummed a few times, "'tracing her fingers over Ash's face, "'her arms,' "'turned her hands over and studied her palms. "'Open your shirt. Let me see that star.' "'Star?' "'Ash opened her eyes and took a couple deeper breaths, "'which dispelled some of the muffling. "'She wondered if she were dreaming as she looked at her hands. "'They glowed softly, "'a pale luminescence shifting between blue and green, "'with swirls of silver through them. "'What did you do to me?' "'That, my girl.' is your magic finding weak spots in the barriers woven around you, leaking out and working on those knots. You were so tightly bound, there was no wiggling space inside, but your magic has fresh air and room to move, and it's finally breaking free to start defending you, which makes me think that binding was inflicted on you while the seeds of magic were still too small, too young, too much asleep to even feel the change.' "'I have to wonder if your lack of memories from before the wave "'are a result of that nasty spell as well.' "'That's me?' Ash whispered, "'slightly mesmerized by the movement of color across her skin. "'Then she remembered what else Hazel had said "'and fumbled with the laces of her nightshirt. "'The star was still there, "'but looked more gray than the milky silver she was used to. "'It didn't glow. "'It looked rather uneven around the edges.' "'Well, it's a start, at least,' Hazel nodded. "'I'll dose the boys with that, whether they have any markings or not. "'And I'll give you some flasks of the mixture, concentrated, "'to take in regular doses to continue the loosening effect.' "'Thank you,' Ash whispered, trembling. "'Fang leaned against her, his forepaws on her knees, "'looking up at her with very evident concern in his big eyes. "'That disturbing hint of red was gone.' He patted her thighs with his ears. Yes, I think I'm all right now. Thank you for asking. Three days later, Ash needed to return to her travels. Lingering any longer wouldn't be wise. Granny Flocks and Hazel examined and questioned all the boys who had grown up with Ash. Only the youngest, Timoteo, had any reaction to Hazel's potion. A star glowed on his forehead. He yelped and claimed it burned. Hazel splashed the potion on the star. It fell off his forehead and disintegrated in a shower of evil-smelling sparks before it hit the table where he had been sitting. Hazel declared she would make the boy her apprentice and keep a watchful eye on him. Hopefully, catching the star before it reacted to his awakening magic meant the enemy who had inflicted it on him wouldn't know it had been destroyed. Timoteo seemed rather pleased if a little dazed, at the news that he had inborn magic. Ash wondered what had happened to the other children of the magic users. Letitia had said there were nine, after all. Had the rest died in the flood? Or had the enemy found them before Lady Charlotte swept in and gathered up the orphans? Were Ash's possible sisters or brothers even now in the service of the evil conclave of magicians and wizards? Perhaps dead, drained of their magic long ago? Lady Charlotte promised she would write to officials and their successors who had been involved in the rescue after the flood to learn what had happened to all the children found in the wake of the damage. Justiciar Camwell was missing. How such a large, pompous, loud man could just vanish without a sound, without a bit of disturbance, boggled the imagination. He had been in good spirits six days ago. As far as anyone knew... Nothing happened to frighten or anger him, no messages that created any reaction, good or bad. His household servants had overheard him talking to the magic mirror in his study, sending messages to fellow justiciars, requesting a convocation a month earlier than normally scheduled. Then, when the housekeeper came to summon him to dinner, he wasn't there. No one had seen him walk out of his study. He was too enormous to fit through the windows." No one had been in to visit him all day. His magic mirror, diatribe, had been busy in the mirror network, delivering messages and catching up on legal matters chatter, and didn't hear any outcry. There was no sign of struggle or disturbance in the study. Nothing out of place. The Justiciar's three clerks had been busy running errands and delivering messages and filing documents in the territorial courthouse, so they hadn't seen Camwell for the last two days. "'What are the possibilities? "'He got the warning from Father and just packed up and fled,' Dunstan said, "'when he and Ash discussed the news a few hours later. "'Lord Diggory had asked the same question before he got to the end of the report. "'The Justiciar's lead clerk didn't know if Camwell had read the message from Castle Fairhold, "'but it had arrived that morning. "'Ash knew then she needed to leave, "'if only to attract the attention of Lathia's magicians and keep them moving.' If they were busy trying to find her, they wouldn't have time or malevolent magic to employ against the residents of Castle Fairhold. She made her farewells and took Garen from the stable to go to Hazel's cottage to retrieve her bags and fang. She had bundled fang into the basket under cover of a cloak to protect him from the late afternoon sunshine when Dunstan came running with more news. Lord Winston had responded to the warning from Lord Diggory. Typical of him, Winston ignored the bitter fight he had with Lathia before she left the castle. He mocked Lord Diggory and scorned his concern and warnings. He declared Lathia would at long last get justice and fulfill his righteous claims to an estate. Righteous claims? Dunstan snorted and spat, which surprised Ash, because usually he had such lovely manners. Grandmother laughed at that part. She said Cousin Winston's grandmother was the shame of the family, producing five children and unable to identify which men sired them. Her brother was extremely charitable to raise those children and not send her to a cloister to control her promiscuity. I wish I could see him when Lathea's men find him and he finds out how wrong he is, she said. I know it's wrong of me, but I want to laugh in his face. A rapid thumping resounded from Fang's basket, making her flinch. "'What's that?' Dunstan reached for the lid of the basket. "'Don't. It's not safe. For Fang and maybe not for you,' Ash added, ending on a chuckle. "'He's—he has a bad reaction to sunlight. I only let him out at night. "'Have Hazel tell you about Fang when I'm gone. That's a part of my story I just didn't feel safe to share.' "'I wish I had gone with you,' he said. "'I wish I could go with you now. When you leave on your adventure next spring—' "'Send a message to me through Philby, and I'll try to meet you on the road.' She caught her breath at a sudden pang in her chest that had nothing to do with the fading star. "'If it's safe.' "'Athiosius, guide and guard you,' he murmured, and reached out to clasp her forearm. She returned the gesture, like two warriors making a vow before riding into battle. Dunstan walked with her to the main road, and for a short time they could talk like the young friends they had been— making plans for his travels, the places he would go, the things he would see, the adventures he hoped to face. They grew silent when they crested the last rise in the landscape and the graveled road came within sight. They gripped each other's forearms once again when they reached the side of the road. Ash climbed into the saddle and rode away in silence. She looked back three times, and each time, until the rolling landscape came between them, Dunstan was still there, watching her go. Ash headed north at the first crossroads. She refused to lead the purple sky to Cecil. There was still that tracking spell to deal with. The more times she retraced her steps, the stronger the beacon to lead the enemy to her. She hoped that traveling quickly would leave a fainter trail that faded easily and lost the hunters. She crossed the northern border of Alfordia into Dagomar, then headed west, down through Barangrave. Ash stopped at three courier station houses along the way, checking for messages from Philby and picking up courier packets waiting to be dropped at the next station house or to be delivered to an official. Two weeks after leaving Fairhold, she crossed into Camerlang, and the weather changed rapidly—from chilly mornings and pleasantly warm afternoons, the temperature dropped so frost covered the ground in the mornings, just as spring had come early at Castle Fairhold. Now fall had passed in a few breaths, and winter approached. That made no sense, because the leaves still held a large amount of green. They should be entirely gold and scarlet, starting to shrivel to dull brown as they dripped from the trees before the cold settled in like this. Why was the weather colder when she was traveling south? Was this maybe a sign of Lathea's magicians chasing her? Ring, I need you! "'Please, if you can at least hear me now,' Ash shuddered at the break in her voice. "'What was wrong with her, besides feeling utterly alone again and hating it? Maybe it was the helplessness, the sense of having no recourse, no ideas what to do. She had used up the last dose of Hazel's loosening potion three days ago. She drank a few swallows every three days, but the wretched star on her breastbone was still visible.' What I need is a library full of magic books, some guidance. I didn't read the right books when I had the chance, didn't write down the right information. She imagined the book full of her notes from the time pool library vibrated a little in the saddlebag pressed against her leg. Please, Athiosius, what do I do? Guide me? Lead me to someone who can help me? Later, Ash wondered if she had prayed foolishly. Perhaps she had irritated the Maker with her whining, or perhaps, as Cecil had remarked several times, Athosius sometimes had a nasty sense of humor. Midway through the afternoon, she came to a fork in the road that shouldn't have been there, according to the map she had consulted at the last station house. She took the fork that looked more traveled, less covered with the first of the falling leaves. The trees seemed to move closer with every few steps Garen took, The shadows thickened, and the breeze chilled. Ash's breath turned to gusts of fog in front of her. She looked back, and though she was sure she had only been riding maybe a quarter mile, she couldn't see the massive boulder she had passed at the fork in the road. The trees seemed even closer to the road behind her than ahead of her. Snowflakes swirled in front of her eyes. One landed on her nose. She crossed her eyes to stare at the bit of crystal— but it melted before she could focus. Ash turned forward again. Garin kept moving, and she chose to take comfort in that. Courier horses were chosen for their intelligence and sensitivity to danger. The moment Garin showed signs of uneasiness, sensing trouble ahead, she would turn right around and head back the way she came. No more snowflakes danced through the air. Maybe she had imagined it? Fang thumped on the basket, startling a muffled yelp from her. Ash looked around, assessing the sunlight. Between the hints of darkening clouds she glimpsed in the gaps between the trees and the leaves still thick overhead, she judged there were enough shadows to risk opening the basket. Fang rose up high on his hind legs, resting his forepaws on the edge of the basket, and turned his head in all directions, sniffing loudly. What do you smell? Danger, Ash murmured. She took deep, slow breaths. All she could smell was the crisp, tangy perfume of leaves that had turned color far too soon in the season. The breeze seemed to grow more chilly with every other heartbeat, and she wished for a big, hot fire to sit by, and warmed cider. The next station house on her route was more than a day away, and she had been planning to spend the night in the forest. She thought she had enough to keep her warm, between her jacket and cloak and two blankets in her bedroll. "'Should we turn back?' she asked when Fang settled down into the basket again. He tipped his head to the right, studying her just long enough to make her feel twitchy. Then he twisted his ears around to point back the way they had come. Ash tugged on the reins to turn Garin, who resisted for a moment. Always a bad sign, Philby had told her. Yet how could the horse sense something that she and Fang had missed that made him want to keep going down the road? Fang squeaked and slapped her back with his ears. "'What?' Her voice sounded dead, as if it had hit something massive and soft, so the sound didn't bounce back at her. Fang sniffed, and so did Ash. She smelled something sweet-sour, like wine, but with a greenish quality, like something alive. "'Flowers?' She sniffed again. "'What kind of flowers could be blooming at this time of year?' "'Roses.' Ash took another sniff. "'Yes, she smelled roses.' She opened her mouth to ask Fang if that was what he smelled. Snow swirled around them, flakes filling her eyes. Whirls and streaks of snow danced through the air in a way that snow shouldn't, not without a mass of wind blowing it upward and around in billows and spirals. Yet Ash felt practically no wind at all. Snow. And roses. Her mind blanked as she grappled to understand. Ash knew that was a danger sign the scent of roses amid snow, but she couldn't remember why. Garin leaped forward into a gallop. The tunnel through the trees turned white, dotted with red and pink and yellow. Roses? Before she could yank on the reins to stop the horse, they had plunged into the tunnel of roses amid the snow. Buzzing whispered along her skin. The marrow of her bones itched. The world tipped sideways underneath her, threatening to spill her off. She tightened her legs around the horse's sides. Nausea twisted through her guts, just like the sensation when she entered the time pool's library. A change in flow of time? Where was she going? Ash yanked harder on the reins to stop the horse. Turn him in mid-flight. Go back. Fire stabbed her, like a red-hot poker piercing her breastbone. Her saddle turned to fire underneath her. Ash screamed. The sound echoed off the thick walls of the tunnel. Then it died, along with the cold and snow and shadows, as the horse stumbled out into daylight from among thick, luxuriant trees bright with spring buds, jeweled with dew. The air was warm, heavy with the sense of new life bursting out of the prison of winter. The horse stumbled to a stop, and Ash threw herself out of the saddle. She tugged open her jacket and vest and shirt expecting to find a scar and smoking flesh where the fire had touched. Flakes of silver, sparkling ash blew away on the warm breeze. The star on her breastbone had vanished. She gingerly touched her bottom, expecting residual pain. Had that dratted glowing star been burned away, just like the one on her breastbone? Fang squealed and thudded the basket lid closed on himself. Ash inhaled to shout and ask him what was wrong. But that was a stupid question, wasn't it? She smelled scorched fur. Of course, all that sunlight after the soothing shadows. Sorry, Fang, her voice cracked. Please, Athiosius, what happened? She knew what happened, but she didn't want to even think the words. Cecil's vision had caught up with her. She had entered the enchanted forest. She looked back, and maybe twenty paces away, she saw the tunnel of snow and roses, and at the far end... She saw the scarlet and amber streaked with green of the forest she had been riding through. Not just a tunnel, but a portal. Stupid, 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 she scolded herself and vaulted into the saddle, yanking on the reins to turn Garen and go back before the doorway closed. He snorted and shook his head, fighting her, turning reluctantly. In those few seconds, the portal faded away, so all she saw was shadows, hints of snow and roses like a painted screen with the springtime forest bleeding through. In another breath, even that had vanished. Ash stared at the spot and let Garin keep going. She couldn't think. What was she supposed to do? How could she get back to where she had been? The portals opened again. Philby had told her that. Why couldn't she remember all the things they had discussed, all the things she and Cecil had discussed, the many fables about the Enchanted forest. Garen nickered, yanking her out of her spinning thoughts, and she yanked on the reins to stop him. The trees warped and seemed to melt a few steps in front of his nose. The gray-streaked bark smoothed and turned soft brown streaked with white. The leaves vanished. Before her stood an archway through stone, into shadows, with flickers of light at the far end that made her think of sunshine sparkling through leaves dancing in a high wind. A smell like salt and hot stone seeped up through the darkness. Ash shuddered and listened to that sense of guidance that had been with her all her life. Philby and Cecil had both said she had been wrapped with guarding and guiding spells. Why hadn't those spells warned her away from the tunnel of roses and snow? Unless the magic guiding and guarding her wanted her here? She turned the horse, moving back away from that archway. It was another portal, opening into a new land. Somewhere else on the same continent, or halfway around the world. Several of the books she had read, and the stories from other couriers, agreed that the portals in the enchanted forest took turns becoming doors to different places. When would the tunnel of snow through roses return? Ash clutched her stomach, feeling dizzy and queasy at a new thought. When was an important question. Far too many stories she had read and heard about the Enchanted Forest insisted that time passed differently. While she might sit here and wait a day, maybe two, maybe three, until the tunnel of snow and roses opened again, she had no promise that when she came out the other end, that the same amount of time had passed in the place she had left behind. We hope you enjoyed today's chapter. For more information on all the books and series featured in this podcast, or to purchase the ebook or audiobook for future reading and listening pleasure, please visit yeoldragonbooks.com. You can also find more information about our books and purchase ebooks on our Patreon page, Ye Old Dragons Library. Please consider supporting the podcast. To gain access to free stories or discounts, or a chance to purchase a new book in advance of release. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ye Old Dragons Library.